my friend. It is yeah. so good to finally be here and do this with you. Welcome to the Social Responsibility at Work podcast. Glad to be here. We've been talking about this for a long time. I know. And it's, it's, I think it's more than, you know, do schedules align. It's like the right time's the right time when the time is right. Right. And we're actually here in person together in, in yeah. Tampa, in St. Petersburg. St. Peter, me. get it right. Yes, yes. We're I a city get it divided. Right. <laughs> it's St. Pete, and then there's Tampa. Got it. But anyway. Got it. Respect, respect. I'm so, not even from here, so it doesn't, I just want to be near water. That's that's the dream. Yeah. That's the dream. And it's a dream that we actually got schedules to align today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, for sure, for sure. Um, well, Reggie, just tell us who you are, what you do, and the impact that you're looking to make on the world. Um, so I, uh, Reggie Butler, um, I was born in the Midwest, St. Louis, grew up born and raised in St. Louis, and then moved to Cincinnati, so more Midwest. Mm. Um and then wound up moving to Florida for uh, for business. And the, the most interesting part about it is when I first started coming to Florida, it was it was like a gig. Like I was coming, I was doing some workshops, mm. and I would go back home to the Midwest. So I would leave the- Hopefully this, in the summertime? It, it was in the winter. <laughs> oh. So I was coming to Florida in the winter, and it was 75 degrees here. And then I'd travel back into a snowstorm and shovel my way into my house and then mm. shovel my way back out of my house to come back to Florida and went, this is ridiculous. This is not working. This is not working, <laughs> so I moved to Florida. But I've been in the leadership development, diversity, equity, and inclusion. At the end of the day, human capital space, this is three decades for me. Mm. I mean, I've been doing this for a while. And I'm trying to impact people at the at a very human level, not a systems level, because mm. I figure if I can impact humans, they will impact the system. Mm. So I've never pulled myself up to the point where it's like, I'm gonna solve a world issue and then attack that because I believe I'm here on this uh, planet in this space in this time for a very limited amount of time. Um, and in that context, it's like, I can only do so much, so I wanna make sure what I'm doing matters. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's at the human level and I'll let the humans do what they do best. Mm -hmm. Either blow shit up <laughs> or make shit better. <laughs> Yes, hopefully, hopefully the latter. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you and I, I think just so complimentary and mm -hmm. we identified it, it really early, I think, because, you know, I talk about the system mm -hmm. a lot and that's mm -hmm. my focus. And of course, the human interaction within the system. But, yeah. you know, you have really interesting views on this work. Mm -hmm. And so and, and absolutely brilliant views around this work. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we talk a lot about is organizations and companies and their impact and what they should be doing. So give us just like, I don't know, state of the union, like DE&I, where are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I wanna do, I'm gonna do a trigger warning. I'm gonna ask a question. I know people are listening in, in real time. I'm gonna be fairly real and honest in the context of my lived experiences. Yes. It doesn't mean everybody will agree with how I am viewing things. Um, and, you know, uh, expletives are my love language. So I'm asking you before I before I go Do into it. this, is that okay? Blow shit up, Reggie. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. So uh, the State of the Union for, for DEI. So first of all, being in this space since what feels like the beginning uh, of DEI, I, I think, I absolutely believe we've made progress. I don't think we've done nearly enough, but we have made progress. So people who keep saying, you know, the diversity efforts have stalled. And it's like, no, no, you have to think about what they used to be. Mm. We're, we've made some 
some progress. Have we done enough? No, mm. not at all, not even close, but we have made progress. And I, I think I am putting the onus and the responsibility on leaders right now. The people inside organizations who get to make the decisions on what's important to the organization. Mm. Those are the people that at this particular moment in time need to do their part, mm. those people. It's not the workforce. The workforce are just recipients of those leaders' decisions. And I, I'm, I'm really pushy, and I'm, I, I believe that if leaders take some, not just responsibility, but some accountability for what happens next, we will see organizations make a difference at, at systemic levels. So that, I'm gonna leave it right there for the moment. Mm. But, and I, I love what you're saying because um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Edelman Trust Barometer. Um, it's, you know I'm a nerd, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna be mm-hmm. looking at data. Um, it's a report that comes out every year mm. about uh, kind of the state of of trust and onus mm-hmm. um, and how people are looking at systems and mm-hmm. and institutions. And over time, we're seeing businesses being more of a platform of a system that we that we are looking to for our information and trust <laughs> versus government and media. And so to your point, the responsibility, I think, is happening on a societal level, too. Yeah. I mean, you're saying it from a, like, this is the work I do, like, I put the onus on leaders, but I think society is actually moving in that direction, too. Yeah, and I want, I want I'm, I'm put this out there. I think we are in a leaderless generation right now. Because mm. people used to, you know, for, you know, decades, again, people would look at there was a certain leader at a certain time period that sort of led the conversation around diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, like all these things. And then that leader went away. And then there was another person that took their place. So if I look at, you know, just over the last 30 years, different people's names can come to people's minds about making things better for humans. Right now, there are events that become the catalyst for what happens in DEI. Mm. So the murder of George Floyd, it was an event that became a catalyst. It wasn't a human running around going, we need to do this and follow me. It wasn't a human, it was an event. And so these events have happened in such such quick succession over the last three to five years that no leader has stepped up. And it's not that they didn't want to, it's that the events keep happening. You had a pandemic, then you had the great resignation, and then you know all the things, that mm-hmm. those are events. And nobody's actually decided I'm gonna take this on and push for progress. I believe companies are the next collective set of leaders, Mm. which is why I'm really focused in on leaders inside an organization, because your organization is gonna make a difference in your industry, in your sector, with your Mm. brand. Your brands have power. Oh, 100%. And I don't think they use it nearly enough. Mm. They get really, really nervous about, well, we don't want to damage our brand by saying we believe in LGBTQ rights or we don't believe in Black Lives Matter. Like, really? Your brand, mm-hmm. your consumers, like, use your brand to live their life. So you need to take that responsibility. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think um, organizations, businesses, especially we have this, like, boom of startups, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's that's a group that I'm really interested in because we're building these kind of mini platforms that to your point, like collectively, if we all got on the same page about Hmm. what that responsibility is, what Mm -hmm. that looks like, what we're going to do, um, and stop putting the onus on 
hiring chief people officers and chief diversity officers, which I agree, you know, I think we need, um, we need a platform to be able to build strategy and build this in an intentional way. But who do you think this work belongs to? Ultimately, what do you mean? What do you mean? So, if we talk about DEI work, mm -hmm. who's responsible for that? Who's responsible for the metrics and the measurables around that work? See, the thing is, oh, Angela, it's such a it's it's not even that it's a tricky question, but when I get asked questions like that inside these organizations, I say, why are you asking me about who owns DEI when in your organization, when you talk about metrics and analytics for business performance, you have no trouble going, right. it's this person, you know, my CIO, my, you know, VP of mm -hmm. HR, like you always know who the answer is for them. It's no different. This is a human-centered issue we're solving. Mm -hmm. The same people that are solving issues, collecting data, studying data, are the same people who already have a skill set. They already do it every quarter. They create dashboards. Why would you say it's the CDO's responsibility? And you you, you hire them. You you know you. Uh, it's so funny. LinkedIn research uh, was talking <laughs> about the number of new roles mm. that have popped up in the DEI space, and just a jump globally, sixty eight percent globally, um, more CDOs than ever before. I'm like, uh huh, really? And then you tell them though. By the way, we don't have a budget. Right. And you don't have a team. Just do the thing without any money. Do the thing <laughs> with no resource, no right. help at all. It's like, no, that's so. My answer to whose responsibility is, I'm going to push it back to, is the organization's resources they've already allocated to progress. Mm -hmm. It's the business's responsibility to provide the resource so that the data they collect is the data they can use. Mm. Not, you know, give that responsibility to somebody else and go, now that you're here, it's like, no. Yeah, no, yeah. Just let's delegate everything to this person yeah. when this is a yeah. something that needs to be interwoven into the culture of the organization. Yeah, and I hear you talk about culture all the time. And, you know, I, so it's like, a, it's like a question about who owns the culture. So if you think about it that way, and yeah. I go, who owns DEI? I go, who owns the culture? Right. And that, that person has the responsibility for making something mm -hmm. happen. It doesn't mean they're doing the work. It means they have a, the responsibility for doing that. Yeah, and I think we have, honestly, I think it's been damaging the amount of CDO roles that we've been creating within organizations, even CPO roles, chief people officers, which mm -hmm. are supposed to be all things people, right? Mm -hmm. And we're basically extracting the responsibility of the leader and putting it in a person yeah. or a team, yeah, 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 which is wild to me. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've been told, like, Oh, you're you're the DEI person. Like that's not my space. I don't have that lived experience. And mm -hmm. it's like, no, this is this is a part of your job. Creating an inclusive environment mm -hmm. with humans, creating spaces that are psychologically safe so people are able to give their best work and selves to the to the organization. Mm -hmm. That is a leader's responsibility. So I think sometimes we separate DEI into this little corner, this little sector, mm -hmm. and we say, oh, that's programs and trainings and you know, that's that's something I don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. Let, let's let's hire a specialist for that. Hire spe you notice, <laughs> listen, I like how you said that. Let's hire a specialist. Um, and I, I, I'm trying to figure out, and I'm only using this metaphor at this moment, because when we go into, where you go to get your car service, your automobile service, and they go, well, we don't do that here. You need to go to, you know, a specialist. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't do transmissions. You need to go to a person that only does transmission. Mm -hmm. If I go to my doctor and they, my general practitioner says, you need to go, I'm gonna give you a, a prescription mm -hmm. to go to this specialist. I don't know what happened in business, 
where the people that we put in these roles, they're not specialists, they're generalists. Yes. And they they have a ton of passion. Mm. And I'm I'd be the first one to tell people passion's not enough to make progress happen in this mm. space. I'm glad passion is, you know, akin to interest to me. I am interested. Yeah. I see a lot of people in these not just CDO roles, but mm. In any of these roles that are related to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and all those kind of things, these people are really passionate about something that happened to them in their life, so they said yes to the role. Mm. And I'm like, do you realize <laughs> you're not a specialist? Yeah. And then they wind up not hitting a KPI or an OKR. They get dinged on their performance, and then the business gets to say, we're not making any progress. Yeah. Look at the business and go, you did it. Right. You set that person up to be average. Mm. <laughs> it's 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 hundred percent. You're you're right on the money. I think with that because we. I think the right thing to do, mm. and this is just you know, I, I always get kind of pushed back for this, but you hire you hire a specialist that works themselves out of a job, mm -hmm. right? Because that person is coming in and they're building the skill set and the capability and the systems so that it can be sustainable and function without them eventually. And that person, you know, moves into maybe a fractional role mm. and is kind of just mm. air traffic control, but it has to live within the DNA of the organization. And that means yeah. leadership. I, you know, it's, What do you think? <laughs> so it's, you know, I think it's an illusion that we tell people, people who sit in the DEI space, they tell themselves, you know, when we get it right, I will work it out. I work myself out of a job mm. and then it will just be part of the culture. And I look at other, you know, parts of the business. Mm. So you never hire a CIO and tell them, I want you to work yourself out of a job. Like you're our chief information officer. The best thing you could do is make sure you don't have a job for my company in 10 years. Mm. You don't tell your chief technology officer that. You don't tell your human capital people that. You don't You don't tell anybody else that. But you tell and expect that a, a CDO or a VP of you know, this work, like, when we get it right, it'll be embedded in the culture. And then you, <laughs> we won't need you anymore. Mm. That is such a fallacy. That is not true. This is life work mm. based on business performance. It is not part-time work. So we're hiring passionate people that have fractional expertise in a certain area, expecting them to impact our business at scale mm. for a long period of time. Well, you bring up a good point, which I think this work, to your point, this work is going to evolve. Mm -hmm. It's one of those elements that will evolve over time. So you bring up a good point, which is you kind of need someone there who's at the cutting edge, the leading edge. Mm -hmm. um, but I, it's the working yourself out of a job, I think, is a lot more philosophical and meta than like like reality, right? Yeah. The, the, it's a it's a philosophy where you know you're not the owner of the work. You're a facilitator of the work. Mm -hmm. um, you have special uh, some kind of specialty in the work so you can guide the work. Mm -hmm. But culture happens with role modeling. Role modeling with leadership behavior. Not from one person's behavior. That's right. That's right. Leadership behavior. So that's where I think that's how that gets operationalized, this working yourself out of a job, which mm. is you introduce a concept to the organization and you build it into the fabric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, the integration of it all. We know it takes time, so I'll be the first one to say yeah. there's the, which, well, like, why I affectionately call it life work. Mm. Um, but there's there's another piece of this is that businesses don't don't translate well heart work. 
Because mm. while some of this work is hard to do, meaning it's complex, there's still, for in DI spaces, an emotional connection to the result. Because you're dealing with what happens to people. You impact people's lives when they feel more included, when they mm. feel excluded, you're impacting the person and they feel something. Business leaders act like they don't understand that. Because I tell you, when I, when I coach some, uh, <laughs> some of these business leaders and when they don't hit their goals, their business goals, they feel something. Yeah. And there's high stress, there's anxiety, you know, mm. all any number of levels of their well-being become, becoming threatened and they feel something. Get over to DEI, they don't feel anything. Why do you think that is? What's the mental block? Um, Where is it coming from? The mental block, I think it's because they haven't accepted, because nothing's, I'll, I'll put it this way. I have leaders who are very good in this space. They're just amazing allies in this space, but they're an ally because something did happen to them in their life that became a catalyst for why it's important. Mm. And we have some leaders sitting in this roles that the catalyst for DEI work, um, nothing's happened to them yet that they have aligned with, oh, that's what you're talking about. I'll give you an example. I was, uh, I was working with a, a leader and they said, you know, our people are, are paying a lot of attention to um, what feels like uh, uh, inequities in workload. Like if you mm -hmm. if you're a parent, um, you not that you don't have to work as hard, but your hours are more flexible because you're a parent versus those that don't have kids. It's like accidentally they wind mm -hmm. up working more and taking up, you know, taking up the the. Yeah, I've the heard the example like, can, oh, I wish I was a parent so I could leave early. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So if the leader in that particular situation that they're trying to solve is a parent. They automatically understand the conversation. Sure. If they're mm -hmm. not a parent, mm -hmm. let me put it in a, in a context that you know I think all of our listeners will understand. If it didn't happen to them, they can't advocate for it. If it happened to them, then all of a sudden they're in. They're all in, mm -hmm. almost to the point point where it's a disruptive bias. Mm. And I try to get people to say you have to own your biases and the origin of where they came from, so you can manage that mental block that we all have. Everybody's got a mental block about something that has to do with what they've been exposed to across their life cycle. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not upset at people who don't, who don't understand race relations. If nothing's happened to, to them in their life that deals with their race and their identity. Mm. Well, I, like, of course you're not with me right now. Mm. Nothing's happened to you yet. <laughs> it's right. not a mental block that's bad. Yeah. It's just lack of exposure. As soon as we can get people to align with Something has happened to them. I see people just turn that corner. It's like, oh, I didn't know what you were talking mm. about. Oh, so the mental block is no longer a block. It's like they have vision for the first time. Yeah. And I don't mean that vision and strategy point of view, but they can see something that they couldn't see before. And that's mm. what makes them want to join in. Yeah. And we're, we're social learning beings, right? Heck so yeah. every, Heck yeah. every like connection we make goes back to experience. And that's, I think, your point around the focus on human experience and the human condition and how that helps us learn and unlearn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, which mm -hmm. you you have implemented beautifully in some of the, the work that you and your team are doing around, I think it's about creating experience. And I yeah. think 
DEI training has missed the mark for decades. Oh, yeah. I mean, just look at the research. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it started off, you know, we, we know the whole evolution of DEI work, mm. but, you know, the affirmative action and then the uh, unconscious bias training. And mm. I think what you're doing is like the next phase of this work that's actually yeah. going to make an impact, which is creating an experience for people to use that social learning and recollection mm. to create change. Yeah, I, you know, I, there, there's a uh, there's a sort of a, a methodology that I use in everything I do is I try to get people to understand that a shared experience is way more important than an individual experience. Because if mm -hmm. something happens to me, my car breaks down on the side of the road, and I go tell some somebody, you know, my car broke down, and you know, I try to get them to feel something for me because my car broke down. That's very different than that person being in the car with me. Mm -hmm. When it broke down and all the things we had to go through to get off the side of the road, that together mm -hmm. creates a synergy that you cannot penetrate. Mm. And in DEI work, people aren't having shared experiences. They go to a training. Somebody right. talks toward them. Mm -hmm. They tell them, here are the words you're supposed to use, understand what they mean. And there's no experience attached to it. No wonder they don't do anything when it's over. It was information for information's sake. You put somebody in an experience where they go through something together, they come out together, and they want to work together to make change happen. So I totally believe in experiential methodologies. It's mm -hmm. like give them an experience, have them, what's the learning, what's the lesson from the experience, what do you do with that learning in that lesson, let's do another experience. That's way better for... I'm talking about sustainability of, of growth around the topic than just let's, you know, let's, let's talk uh, about the D and the E and the I. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this isn't against um, this isn't against anything that uh, where people haven't put what I think are really good trainings out in this space. Because mm. for some people, it is about information. Like they don't know what they don't know. So having tools for people to understand more, totally there's a spot for that. I'm saying, but beyond that, which is why DI training gets such a bad rep, there's nothing after it. There's no experience attached to it. Mm. That's what makes it sticky. That's mm. what makes it work. It's the experience side of it. Um, I, you know, I, the thing, because when I listen to you and you talk about culture and, and, and you, you talk about it in terms of strong cultures, mm -hmm. I am so... Um, I'm taken aback by people who created these companies, and when they created it, there was a culture that was there, but the culture has never evolved. Mm. But everything around the culture has. So the society's changed, they've yep. evolved, how people work, look at the future of work, mm. like everything's evolved, but the culture of the organization didn't. And I am struggling right now with <laughs> when is somebody gonna pay attention to the culture Yes. And have them evolve at the same time. I'm interested in your take on that. I've been waiting for this. Ooh. It's like what makes <laughs> what makes a culture atrophy? Yeah, I mean, I think what actually what you're saying it makes sense. And I think the culture is changing. There's a lack of acceptance at these top levels. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work that I do when I go in, um, and we do some of our assessment work, there is a clear gap between how the executive team or leadership team is describing the culture mm -hmm. and what people are actually saying. <laughs> Complete mismatch. And that's because this executive team, this founder team, 
they're, you know, honestly, they're kind of like up in the clouds. The bigger your organization gets, the more disconnected you get. The bridge just gets longer and longer. Mm -hmm. And you haven't crossed the bridge as often as you did maybe when you were building your business or on the mm -hmm. floor or there are less people. But now maybe you have new executive members or new leaders. And um, culture happens simultaneously from the bottom up and the top down. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of times we talk about culture with like, we develop these values and these behaviors and yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we throw it down to the organization and say, do this. That's not how culture actually works. It's, it's a groundswell as well. Mm -hmm. So I think what's missing is nobody's actually named what the culture is at that moment. They're still living in the past and their past values. <laughs> and they haven't revisited yeah. those values yeah. and allowed that to evolve with the groundswell that has happened over the years. Yeah, I'm. I, I think that that there are some broken cultures out there. Mm -hmm. That the leaders who are you know in their roles right don't even know the culture is broken, right. because they don't listen to the voices of the people that are supposed exactly. to be the recipients of what good culture is. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I've often wondered, and I you know I talk about this whenever I can, is that are you owning what happens next versus responding only to what happened now? Mm. And I see people sit in these spaces and it's all this regression analysis, so we're gonna get a committee together to study the impacts of what's happening to our teams and why our performance is this. And you look at it and you're always looking backwards in order to create what future performance looks like, mm -hmm. which is why I got a real problem with performance management systems. Oh. I'm just gonna put that out there. Yeah. You spend you. a whole year collecting all the things in the past and then to predict how I'm going to show up next year. I'm like, really? <laughs> right. That's what this is about? And then you assign a number to me. Mm. And then I have to live through that rating. That is ridiculously, um, <laughs> it's embarrassing when I think of some of these performance management systems that people put in place in order to create structure. Mm -hmm. And it's disruptive to the entire organization. Disruptive. It's the worst time of the year. Mm. You know, I have to do well. well it's 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 per season. It's this season. It's like really. Yeah, it's it's a tool that has been implemented to reduce again the responsibility of the leader of having ongoing conversations yeah. about performance, yeah. uh, which just. I agree with you. I mean, remember that whole period of time where everyone's like, we're going to get rid of performance management yeah, systems. Yeah. Yeah, and we're yeah, not yeah. going to have ratings. And then now we're, we've literally looped all the way back. Mm -hmm. And we've, it's, it's, it's a crutch. Yeah. It's a crutch process. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's one of the, that's one of those things when I say culture is broken. Because some people, when they, so if you think of an organization, when an organization first starts, uh, they're just trying to stay in business yeah. and be a business. Yes. And then at some point, they look at, oh, we don't have some systems in place. There's some things missing. So yeah. then they build that. Mm -hmm. And then there's another iteration. And they keep doing that. And they they forget that literally every time you do that change and you don't make it a part of the culture, you're mm -hmm. saying this is in support of the culture. You then wind up um, putting people in a, in a position where they have lost all control as the as the as a member of the culture. I you know, Angela, I'm it's gonna sound to your viewers. It's like, is culture good or bad? Is culture a good thing or a bad thing? Because there's mm. depending on who you talk to, sure. there's a lot of research out here. It's like I I don't know if we should be talking about our culture. Like what do you mm. what do you think? I think cultures can be healthy or unhealthy. Okay. Um 
culture, I think, is. Like, if you think about, talk about culture, mm-hmm. it just is. We mirror, the culture that we mirror within organizations mirrors societal culture. Mm-hmm. It's something that we create. We're, we're tribal beings. We love traditions. We love rituals. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a part of the human, culture is a part of the human condition, mm-hmm. I believe. And it gets mirrored within organizations. The question really should be, how are we, as from a behavioral perspective, hmm. creating reinforcement, rewards, systems to enforce the healthy parts of culture hmm. um, and and how we want to show up to the world mm-hmm. as an mm-hmm. organization. Yeah. And there are ways to do that because behaviorally, like, we're, we're kind of simple beans at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, like positive reinforcement works for us. Yeah. Uh, we like to feel like we like we're a part of something. Uh, yeah. There's simple things that you can do, but operational, I say operationalizing a lot, but what I mean by that is actually implementing that. Mm-hmm. I, I believe leaders need to start building their systems theory skill set. Like that's yeah. something that people usually hire an expert for, mm-hmm. but you should know you have this group of people in your container, the organization, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you need to know how that interacts with systems. And yeah. that should be a leader's responsibility to say, if I'm rewarding this behavior, or if I'm demonstrating this behavior, I know that's going to to scale throughout the organization and that's either harmful or helpful. Yeah, yeah, and, and th- I'm using that that frame too, you know, harmful or helpful. And I, I, I tell people, you know, if you're on a team or if you lead a team, ask yourself, you know, you don't have to do it every day, but you need to ask yourself and do it, create a discipline to say, are the things I'm doing, are they harmful or are they helpful? Yes. And if you, I'll, I'll take meetings as an example. Mm. You know, people <laughs> just love their meetings. Yes, they do. Um, and, I, and I think what people have recognized, they thought they were being helpful mm-hmm. by creating a number of meetings to talk about, and they created some um, philosophical structure of what a good meeting means. Mm-hmm. Then they look back over an arc of time and go, people like hate meetings mm-hmm. and they're back to back and it they're circular and all these things. I'm like, you created it though. Right. So now you need to do this assessment. It's like, are my meetings more harmful than they are helpful to the people that are attending and to the culture? Yes. So if you say, you know, we need to have a meeting, some people would like to know, do I really? <laughs> Do I really need a meeting right. for that? Couldn't you have right. read that ahead of time? Mm-hmm. But culturally, if I, and, and again, I love to give examples. There's a uh, somebody I was working with, and we're talking about meeting culture, so same topic. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, when you've been accepted here, when you can go through the gauntlet of meetings and have a point of view in all of them. That's how we know you're part of our culture. Oh it's like, wait a minute, t- say, hold it, what? <laughs> Like, yeah, you go to meeting one at 8.30 in the morning, we hear your voice, you have a point of view. Next meeting, it doesn't happen until 10. It's mm-hmm. not that they're back to back, but in that meeting, we hear your voice, you have a point of view. Afternoon, there's three more meetings. They're all about different topics. You're in that meeting, you have a point of view. Our leaders are watching that. And we know you understand our business and you understand how to navigate our spaces when you have a point of view in all our meetings. This person went, that is not helpful. And what message does that send? I'm like, what, really? <laughs> really? Yeah, what, what message does that send about when we think about differences and, and even like 
neurodivergent individuals I, who need time to process. That's exactly right. what the person pulled back. It goes, my point of view doesn't come during meetings. Right. My point of view comes after I've listened, synthesized. I put all my points of view in writing. Yes. But this culture is about airtime in a meeting. Mm -hmm. And it is counter to who I am. And, you know, and a couple of the things you was going to say, but I'm on the spectrum. Like, there's a lot of things mm -hmm. that make that thing that your culture is saying harmful to me. Yes. And I don't want to be here. It's like, really? Well, we don't want to lose you. You're one of our best. It's like, mm, too late. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I think, you know, I, um, our work kind of intersects, right? Because creating equitable systems mm -hmm. is really around um, also creating space and opportunity to learn about people as human beings yeah. because you need to honor preferences. You yeah. need to honor, you can still create the same impact and outcome mm -hmm. in different ways. And that's why I think people get so confused about equity versus equality. You know, e equity is equal outcomes. Mm -hmm. I have the same opportunity to get airtime. Mm -hmm. um, I have the same opportunity to provide a, a good impression to the leadership team, mm -hmm. but being authentically who I am and the mm -hmm. way I'd like to do that. Yeah. It's the same thing with remote work, right? What we're yeah. seeing is there's actually the um, the disparity um, when it comes to uh, women, people of color, uh, when it comes to being on site versus so everyone, you know, these hybrid work environments are basically saying, you know, what, you have a choice. Mm -hmm. You can come on site or work remotely. Mm -hmm. And what we're finding is women and people of color have decided I love working from home. Mm -hmm. I have not felt this level of belonging mm -hmm. my entire career. Mm -hmm. This feels authentic to me, and I don't have to deal with, I'll call them aggressions. I know we say microaggressions, but they're really aggressions mm -hmm. that happen within the workplace mm -hmm. under the surface. I don't have to deal with uh, the fake smiles and the happy hours and the, the shoot and the shit and all that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because so now I feel like I belong. And But what's happening? You have the traditional workplace, which is in the culture of the workplace that is still happening, mm -hmm. which is when you're on site, you get FaceTime, you get promoted. Mm -hmm. So now we've honored preferences, but the culture hasn't changed. Yeah. It's still exclusive. Yeah. Um, and so people aren't, and this is the, the difference between the system and the individual, mm -hmm. and why both need to work together to actually create uh, equitable outcomes. Yeah, and I talk I talk about um, you know equity in that context, and also around accountability because I put them together. So equity, you have to have accountability for. Yes. Um, and I and I think it's at the individual level first, like accountable to the individual, mm. so that equity is at the individual level, and the person knows that. Yes. Then it's at the 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 uh, process level, so there, there's equity in process. There's some processes inside organizations that are just they're not equitable. They say, or oh, it's equal. It's not. It's okay. You can call it what you want, but equity isn't there. Yeah, it might be equal, but not equitable. Yes. Yeah, so you have to look <laughs> at processes. Yes. You have to look at your impact on the community mm. that we serve. So there's equity in community. And then there's equity at, all the way up at the systems level that help run a business. Accountability isn't just, I need to hold myself accountable for what happens next. No, no. There's a strata to this. Yes. You got to hold yourself accountable in different layers over an arc of time. I'm, you know, I'm, I've been, I've been thinking a lot lately about um, when people feel like they're not making enough progress in their personal life, mm. and they make those choices. We were talking about work. Some people say, "Well, I'm just going to stay at home. I love it." Mm. And it's not that they're people of color. It's like, no, this is actually works better for me. 
Right. I'm more productive. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Fill in the blank mm -hmm. of the dimension of diversity that they represent. It's like, mm -hmm. it is a better environment. Mm. But I'm trying to get people to understand, at some point, there's a, there's a culture out there that says, but I need you back here for some portion. Mm -hmm. And then people are taking the option of, well, then I'm just not going back and I'm going to switch jobs or I'm going to change or I'm going to do a life transition. Mm. And there's something to... Um, uh, and people are you know, flipping words back and forth about resilience or you know, like whatever the thing is. But what makes a person keep going? I'm really interested in helping people understand what is that muscle you have that makes you keep going when even when the things that you know you need to do and you don't want to do and you mm -hmm. keep going, where does that come from? I'm trying to get people to find that muscle because they need it mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. People are sort of sitting in this shaded area of decisions going, I don't know yet, I don't know yet. And they're spending time talking to people, trying to help them make a decision when their peers mm -hmm. made a decision and are moving on. So now the gap between those who are getting preferences mm -hmm. and being noticed is getting wider and wider yes. and wider. And I'm trying to get people to go, look, make a decision and move. Right. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think it comes back to purpose and kind of going back all the way back to the beginning of our conversation about the State of the Union um, on DE&I. Mm -hmm. I think we can't talk about that without talking about purpose and mission of the organization yeah, because, yeah. and that might have changed over time, to your point. I think some a lot of, organ there's a lot of books out there um, and research that says your values shouldn't change, your your mission shouldn't change, and I would disagree. No, like yeah. society oh, has changed. Let's let's revisit <laughs> this. What is our stance? Yeah. And then, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but what does that mean around attracting talent? Like, yeah. do we? So let me ask you this, because I've grappled with this: um, Is ex exclusivity okay in some cases, where we're saying, you know, what we have a stance as an organization? We've not only said we're going to be anti-racist, but we're actually mm -hmm. going to mm -hmm. implement policies, practices that mm -hmm. drive that value. Are we excluding people when a we say that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's not, our, <laughs> most businesses wouldn't be where they are if they didn't make choices about target demographics and they, and they had goals and metrics about those. Of course, they excluded any number of people. Mm. But you have exclusivity shouldn't be viewed through a negative lens when you're the one that doesn't have something. Mm. And that's what I see happening. You know, exclusivity is the business. It's a, a yeah, a, yes. Discernment, discretion, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. but watch this. So exclusivity, as long as you're on the right side of exclusivity, you don't say a thing. Mm. I want those same people that are talking about representation. I want the ones who are already represented talking about representation of those who are not. In the same way, they get upset when it feels like their representation is threatened. Mm. It's like, oh, that that's you know reverse discrimination. It's like you weren't saying anything before, because you were in the exclusive, the right side of of, of exclusivity. Yeah. It's like stop. No, you can't have it both ways. Mm. If we're trying to make things better for all, yes, then some people are going to have to take less, which really isn't material to them, their lives, and their career in order for others mm -hmm. to have access that they just didn't have before. They're not taking anything from you, they're joining you. 
And I always push people on that. It's like, nobody's taking anything from you. They're just joining you. Yes. So anyway, I'm I'm getting heated about that kind of stuff. I just, I love, I mean, I love where we've gone so far. I mean, we've talked about the the State of the Union, mm-hmm. the E&I. We've made progress, but yeah. but we've got a lot of work to do, and I think it's all mindset and behavior, yeah. and organizations have an opportunity to, and actually they're, it's bubbling up actually as a responsibility yeah. uh, to create these environments and um, provide a stance on some of these issues, and that might mean Differences in how we behave within the organizations, changing values, um, but including people as well in the journey because culture is a groundswell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I do that. I have that. And you already know this. So I've, I've built this uh, series called Rich Dialogues, uh, Race, Identity, Culture, and Heritage Rich. Um, because people don't talk enough about these things. They're afraid to talk about them. Uh, and I'm like, well, progress isn't going to happen if you're not talking about that. Talking about it, I th- you look at our country. You look at anything that's happening in the world. Even though they may, they have may, there may have been polarization and divisiveness, until people decided we need to talk about this, mm-hmm. nothing happened. People just stayed apart. Right. So I, I believe that one of the new muscles people need to build and be open to is how do I get build a muscle on purpose to be in dialogue with somebody so that things can get better versus be afraid of the dialogue is the first thing that comes to my mind when it's about race, identity, culture, and heritage, DEI, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, oppression, racial anxiety. Like, that's the first thing that comes to most people's mind. And I'm going, no, you should be as excited to talk about how to make progress happen with that as you are about anything in your personal life where you know progress is necessary. Mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting that there's this threat response, you know, um, that yeah. that goes into play, and and that is, I think, that's a barrier. That's a we talk Heck about yeah. mental block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when we go into survival mode, our brains just Ooh. act, behave differently. Ooh. We can't even like we're just in a narrow tunnel, yeah. and we go into survival mode versus performance mode, and you can't make progress in survival mode. No, no, no. Yes, I totally agree. I want your listeners to hear this one loud and clear. Every day, you're supposed to be surviving and thriving with other people. Yes. Not because other people are there and you're using them. I I'm, I mm-hmm. love this thing about being more helpful than you are harmful. I, I t- any chance I can get somebody to listen to that, it's like, look at your day. We are selfish most of the time. That's not a bad thing. That's, you know, the... It's Maslow's hierarchy. Like, yeah. of course we are. But those who have self-actualized and those who are being better in their spaces, they wake up and go, I normally spend my time thinking about how I'm going to make it through my day mm. and leverage or use other people. And it's not negative for me to wake up and go, how am I going to make it through my day? What do I need to spend my time? What am I going to do? I've got these things I have to, roadblocks I have to mm. navigate around. Who do I need to talk to? Those who are doing better with the human condition, they wake up like this. Who am I gonna help today? Mm. It's like, here's all the things I I know I need to get done, but part of what I need to get done should include who am I helping today? Mm. I had a leader look at me and it went, Reggie, I've never, ever thought that way before. Not in a negative way. I don't think about who am I helping because I think everything I do is helpful to someone, Mm. but I never made it a destination in my mind. Like, who am I gonna help today? He goes, I don't know if I can do that every day. 
I got so <laughs> much shit it. going Let's on. He says, but I, I, I know I can do it, you know, like at the end of a week. It's like, did I actually help anybody this week? And it'll give me a signal. Mm. I can set a trigger in my brain to be more helpful next week. So that's sort of, you know, one of my messages to all those who interact and experience Reggie Butler. It's like, mm. who are you helping? Be more helpful than you are harmful. I love it. <laughs> I love it, Reggie. Well, I could talk to you for hours. I mean, we could we could unpack so many different things that we just talked about, but uh, I just want to kind of tie the bow mm-hmm. and say mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. Um, we really went from like high level to some tactics. You know, I mean, this podcast is all about taking action. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping the listeners have taken something. I think that simple question, waking up in the morning and asking how you can be. Mm-hmm helpful versus harmful, mm-hmm. or I also uh, ask the question, you know, how am I making things brain-friendly for people? Because Ooh. if we're not making things- Can I brain- use that? Yeah, Brain-friendly? Yes. Oh, I'm gonna start using that. Because that's how people get into survival mode. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to lack clarity, uh, when you're making people do mental cartwheels, like that's also a way to exclude. So, you know, I'm all about the brain and psychology. So it's a different way of saying what you've just said. Yeah. But where can people find you? If people are interested in some of the work you do, where can they find you? So the best way to find me, best way to find me is performanceparadigm.com. The links to all my social media platforms are there. All the amazing stuff I do, the podcast that I drop, all those things you can find up there. That's the easiest way to go. You can follow me on Instagram. Um, there, there's, there's ways to find me. I'm excited to put stuff out in the world. So, you know, I I appreciate you for you doing what you do. 